Hello, and welcome to the Ever Widening Circles podcast, designed to give you more joy, less fear, and no end to the practical tips on creating a brighter future. We want you to hear from thought leaders in a wave of progress well underway around the world that almost no one knows about. This podcast will give you a great feeling about all the people out there making the world a better place. And with that, along the way, will help you take control of your life online. It should be making you thrive. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles. Since 2014, we've been restoring people's hope in the future by writing thousands of articles about insight and innovation going uncelebrated in the world. And along the way, we've been having incredible conversations with thought leaders that we are now sharing with the world. Today, we're going to have some fun and insight with thought leader Sean Proof, talk show host, speaker, broadcaster, journalist, columnist, actor. There's so much scope to what Sean is doing. So I'm just going to ask Sean to introduce himself. I, I, I can't possibly get it right. Sean, welcome to the Ever Widening Circles podcast. Thank you. You're so kind to have me on. And I would add happy guy to that. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Other than that, the bio sounds great. We are going to get to that aspect right away. I did find some wonderful places where that is referenced. And of course, that's what we all want right now. It feels like the opening of a new era in some ways, the day that we're recording this podcast. And I'm looking out on a gorgeous Vermont snowy day with snowflakes about the size of a quarter and you're all snuggled in where you are. Let's just have a meandering conversation and see where it leads us because you've got some insights. I did a lot of research before. I'm game. <laughs> okay. I did a lot of research <laughs> on the work that you've been doing and the life lessons that, you, that you've had. And I know you can be super helpful as we all try and open a new era here. I will try my very, my very best. <laughs> okay. I know this conversation is not going to follow the questions I have written, but let's start with one, one that I know yeah. that you can speak to. So, Sean, when I was doing the research, I found that you are a naturally curious person. There's just something, something special about your brand of curiosity, and I'm sure that's led you from wherever you started to this point, and you've made hard decisions and sacrificed a lot. Give us a little bit of the Sean Prue story to help us up to speed, because I believe almost everybody has a life story that can improve my way of thinking. I think um, it's interesting that you mentioned curiosity because that is uh, is, is very true. I've always been cur- curious about, you know, I, I host, as you said, a, a show on, on Sirius XM, and I've had everyone from Oprah to Lady Gaga on the show, but I've also had many, many, many people who are the everyday people, and I'm just curious about them, probably more curious about them than I am any sort of larger celebrity that we've ever had on. I think everybody's interesting. And I think Mm -hmm. we live in a world with a lot of questions that we all ask of the world and and the big, the big questions. I've always been curious about those. And I had something happen when I was 17. My, my dad passed and in front of me and it was, it took me a long time to figure this out, but it was a catalyst for me 
living life with a degree of risk involved because he was only 49 when he died and I'm now 52. So a little older than he was. So I have a, an appreciation for how very young that was now. But when you, when you have something like that happen to you, it was, it was a gift really. I wouldn't have wished for it, but it was a gift because it made me realize how very short life is and to bypass a lot of the things that society says you should be doing with your life and to follow the path of your own making, your own design, your own bliss is is really the way to go because you could be hit by a bus tomorrow and and you want to be able to look back on your life and not have regret. I think my biggest fear would be to be in a situation like that and and to have regretted that I didn't try things, do things, say things, mm-hmm. and be things. And so I've been curious since then about uh, the world around me. And so it's led me to some interesting places and, and to being a very happy guy. You know, to be happy, I like to talk to people about exchanging contempt for curiosity. Mm. So we walk around with uh, with preconceived notions about people after we see what they're wearing or we learn a little bit about what they do for a living or whatever. We develop these like quick off ramps to contempt. But I found that, by the way, you and I do have something more in common than I didn't realize. I had a childhood tragedy. What's my that? best friends. Yeah, my best friend's family all left the planet in a tragic way when I was 15. Oh, wow. And I think exactly like you do about risk. Yeah, it's 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 just driven. when you see that. Yes, it's driven in us when we're that young and suffer an instantaneous loss like that to say, "God, life is short." It's really short. It's really. And I short. do take risk a lot. Yeah, yeah, I do take risk a lot easier than. Yeah, it it is a gift. I realized that probably by about age thirty, but it did take me a long, long time of soul searching to figure out the meaning. It took to me a long time. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could go on there, but let's we're gonna stay away from tragedy. There's plenty of that in Oral. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so I wanna st- I want you to give us some like this is the problem is that we can so easily have contempt for people for whatever these little wirings in our brain have set as biases. And then we go to outrage pretty fast after contempt. But your brand of curiosity seems like you're celebrating the differences in others and, and all that a lot. Because I've listened to many of your interviews. You're always finding stuff to celebrate with people. Tell me about that, how curiosity goes to celebration and, it, and it's a tool to keep away from contempt. Well, and I don't want to dwell on tragedy, as you just said, but I, I think everybody can look back on their lives and uh, realize they've been through stuff. I don't know a single person who doesn't have a story, hence some curiosity that I have. But when you have been through stuff, you know what it feels like to go through stuff. And so for me, when I'm encountering people, there's a benefit of the doubt and there's a an empathy, I think, that's just built in because you realize everybody's got their, their can I swear on this or no? <laughs> Everyone's got their cock out <laughs> and, and they're carrying it around and everyone does the best they can with what they have. 
and everyone's got their set of tools that they have in one given moment and they're 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 using those tools to the best of their ability there's no one who's ever going around deliberately trying to be less than everyone's operating at at best capacity at all times and when you approach that people like that it's kind of impossible to have contempt as you call it or to judge and when i was when i was a kid i was very judgy but you grow out of that when you start to live life and have things happen to you for you as i like to say okay let's get right to that so (laughs) (laughs) damn the torpedoes on on those other five questions i was going to ask before we got there so one of the things i found that you that you talk about in such a lovely way that I think would be super helpful for people in any times, let alone these times when we're trying to open a new positive chapter, is this concept of manifestation or the the law of attraction. So in my own world, I talk to people a lot when I'm interviewed about how we open a new era, how we how we open 2021 better. I always say, what we pay attention to expands. We need to pay attention to what we're paying attention to. But you've got this wonderful way of really expanding on that. So tell me a lot about how, how you see the law of attraction working in our lives. Well, it's it's always working and, and your life is the proof uh, of that. And I, I think the secret to life is appreciation. And that goes along with what you're saying about what you focus on expands. When you are someone who is an appreciator in your life and noting the good things that are happening to you, noting the, the abundance that you have and the prosperity that you have and how very good you have it, it's impossible for the universe to not yield more of that to you. And as I said, your life is showing you um, that this this always is working because to, to the contrary, if you are not an appreciator, if you're a complainer, if you're a whiner, if you're someone who's always, you know, on an online chat support group for more complainers and more whiners, you know that you are attracting into your life more of the same to complain and whine about. Right. So we're always using what's known as the law of attraction, whether we use it deliberately or by default. And it's it's poo pooed a lot, but it really is quantum physics. You are vibrational in nature. We think that we are just flesh, blood and bones in a body sitting on a chair. But we're much more than that. And science measures the vibration of us and and can even measure the vibration of, of thought in what's known as hertz. And positive thoughts, loving thoughts, good thoughts have a way higher hertz reading than than low vibe um, thoughts like hate, complaining, disempowerment. And so all day, every day, as you're going along thinking the thoughts that you're thinking, you are attracting more of the same because vibration attracts vibration. And you know that when when you 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 run into the person who's always complaining as you complain all day. You've attracted that person and you attract all of the stuff into your life. And and so going back to what I was saying earlier, uh, the appeal to me of this worked very well with what we're talking about with with my understanding that life is short. If If life is short and I am a powerful focusing mechanism who can choose what he wants to focus on and how he wants to view the world, why wouldn't I, if life is short, choose the path of least resistance. Why wouldn't I swim downstream instead of upstream? 
And, you know, I'm a high school dropout. I don't have any training in anything that I've done. But I do know that by being an optimist and being someone who's a positive thinker, my life has unfolded really well. And, and I would not have any regrets if I was hit by a bus tomorrow. So that's, that's my little bit on love attraction, how I understand it. Yeah. And I think you've made a really good case for the fact that we're doing it, whether we're doing it consciously or not. Yeah. Yeah. You can look at the areas of your life, relationships, finance, your general well-being and health, say, if those are the four sort of quadrants. And on each subject, you know uh, whether you're doing really, really well or poorly. And if you're doing poorly, say, in the relationship zone, think about the way you're viewing relationships and what your inner dialogue, what is the voice inside your head saying about relationships? And, and I can guarantee you that you have a salty, ornery, whiny, complainy, I don't have a relationship yet, he has not shown up yet, when is he coming? Or I can't stand the one I have, I want a new one. You have that vibrational offering. And so life is giving you back a match mm-hmm. to that. And it always, it never goes squirrely on you. It works every time. And so it's always on. It's like saying gravity is on or off. We're always using gravity and we're always using the law of attraction is always on. Mm. So, you know, one of the things you were talking about there, which we, we should not pass over lightly, is this notion that it's that thinking positive is a habit, that gratitude yeah. is a habit. Appreciation is a habit. Just like I've been saying to people lately, I think anger becomes a habit. Yes, of course it does, because they're thoughts first. They're thoughts. They're, first there's thoughts, and then there's the emotion that follows the thought. And so if you're having thoughts that cause you to be angry, that becomes a habit because we have habits of thought. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like we live in a world that doesn't support what I'm talking about very readily because mostly, I think, because drama sells you know, the morning paper and your favorite cable news show is making money on advertising and they want to draw you to them. And so they're going to put the most dramatic uh, thing up there and it's always got a negative bend to it. And so we live in a world that doesn't sort of offer support for, for positivity. And we have gotten ourselves to wherever we are in our lives, thought by thought, by thought, by thought, by thought. Wherever you are, whatever you're not happy about or happy about, you've gotten there thought by thought by thought. And so you have to break that habit and begin new thoughts. And eventually you get to a place where you start to see a physical manifestation of the change of thought that that you're having. At first, there's nothing really much going on because you've got this powerful momentum of years of thinking poorly about the subject of relationships to keep the same example going. You've, you've got a habit of thought about relationships that's no longer serving you and never has. And so if you want to change that, you've got to start to talk about relationships in a way that feels good to you. And you can't just go from, I hate relationships, I hate being in them, to a yippee skippy, relationships are amazing. Right. You've got to go thought by thought by thought, and it's got to be real to you as well. You can't, you can't fake it. It's not Pollyanna. When we talk about optimism, you've got to say something that has resonance to you. Otherwise, you're not going to believe in it. It's a bogus thought for you. And so that's not going to work. You can't just walk around with a fake smile on your face. You have to find things to really make you smile. You know, that's funny you should say that because I, I, 
I get that kind of hair stands up in the back of my neck when, when I hear people say, oh, that's saying, fake it till you make it. Right. I don't know if that's a thing. <laughs> do you do you think that that's the way? A little bit, because, I, you know, as I, I said, I've got no training in anything I've ever done and, and, and just a high school education. So I've gone in. But that's also this this dovetails with what we're talking about. I've gone into situations acting like I knew what I was doing a little bit more than I did. So because I okay. knew I could do it once you gave me the break, gave me the opportunity. So as a writer, for example, I, I'm untrained, but I, when I was first trying to get published, I just certainly presented myself as someone who was capable of, of writing something because I knew I could. So I faked it. But you can't fake your vibration. I think that's different. Yeah. No, and, and I, I do understand the difference that you're driving at. I mean, at some level, you, you had done the work. You, you knew yeah. what you were capable of, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you can't fake it if you can't do it. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I know I know that that's that's one of the ways that people are seeing themselves succeed these days and oh, I don't know if that's is that if that's a great strategy. Tell me a little bit about this this way that you think about for instance, have you ever heard of the conductor Ben Zander, Sean? He's, I think, the conductor. The name rings a bell. He's a longtime conductor of the Boston Philharmonic. He has this amazing older TED talk about the downward spiral versus radiating possibility. Mm. And he he talks about the fact that there's two ways of thinking about the world: in the downward spiral or in the radiating possibility. Tell me, give me a story about in your life where you were at a crossroads, such a crossroads, where you could have gone one way and it you took a risk and went the other. Can you think of anything off the top of your head like that? Oh, the best answer to that is when I was just approaching 30, I had spent eight years in finance. I was making six figures and doing really well, traveling a lot um, and having really a lot of fun doing that. I enjoyed my clients and I, I, I liked being with the people that I got to be with. But there was something that began to niggle at me that felt like unfulfillment. I realized that I was going home every single day with a shopping bag in my hand because I'd always gone out and bought something, usually an item of clothing. So I was always going. So I was filling a, a, a gap and I knew I was good at things. I failed grade 10 math. I had no business being in finance, but I was there. And I knew that I was doing things that I wasn't good at and I'd succeeded, you know, really well. So I thought to myself, what if I did the things that I was good at? I know I'm a good writer. I know I'm good with words. I've always liked speaking. What if I put the kind of effort into something like a dream like that, as that I've put into my finance career? What if I did this just for myself? And and so that was my crossroads, though, because I was making really good money. I had I had just bought a house, and I had no set game plan at all, but left finance, sold my house, went broke, reinvented myself. And that's the, the big crossroads for me was the choice between going through life every day, same day, Groundhog Day, shopping bag, rinse and repeat, and not really feeling passion or taking a risk and following my personal dreams and using my talents and seeing where that led me. And 
lots of times, like I said, I, I sold my house and went broke because I just wasn't bringing in any kind of, of notable income uh, when I first left. And I didn't have a ton of savings. I had just about six months. And so after that sort of ran dry, I had to really change things. And it was challenging to dump the things that society tells us make us successful. So to dump a six-figure income and to sell a house to pursue uh, what people would call creative or artistic goals. There was no hesitancy with me. I felt like I was doing the right thing, but it was, it was not easy to do in terms of people thinking you've lost your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super, super huge, isn't it? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that notion that we have to have everybody else validate our choices is a pretty tough one to keep up with. Yeah. And and I dropped that fast. I mean, I, th- I think I'm lucky because I'm not someone who goes around caring too much what people think. But you are you are going against the grain, and when you reinvent yourself, you lose a lot of people around you who liked you the way you were, and didn't need you to change. Yes. So it's a, it's it was a it was a trip. Hmm. So I hear. What what I think you're saying is something I, I love to have people expand on. You know, we've gotten in this, it, talk about habits. We've gotten in the habit of sticking with something that's in our zone of, of excellence. Like, I'm sure you're a good financial advisor. And I'm sure despite whatever came before, you, you're the kind of person who would do it to your very best and, and you would be successful at it. But what I'm noticing is that a lot of people are turning away from their zone of excellence and searching for their zone of genius, which is a whole different matter. Yes. When you're tuned in, tapped in, turned on to that, you get to feel a measure of joy that is impossible to feel when you're just doing something that you are merely Mm -hmm. trained at and good at. And it's a pleasant thing to do. But when you're tapped into your passion, that's a whole different thing. And I think, uh, and I, I, I've talked to many people about this when they're taking a leap. They know they're not, they know that they're good at what they do. They could do it to, till their dying day, but they're just not feeling that certain something. And, and they get stuck on what to do. Like, what shall I become? What would be my new job? What would be my new profession? And I always say, you're looking for a, a, a feeling. You're looking for a feeling. Because when I left finance, my goal was to be an actor. It wasn't to be doing any of the stuff that I'm doing now. And and while I, I did do some acting and have done some acting over the years, what I came to realize was that when I had done it in the past, it was, and, and I had done a lot of it, when you were rehearsing something, when you were learning your lines, when you had the satisfaction of being on stage or in front of a camera and, and being creative and getting the, the audience interaction and feedback, there was a, a feeling that I had that was the feeling of joy. And so that's why I was going in that direction. It wasn't to become an actor. It was to feel joy. So I went to the first place where I felt joy. And then my life began to unfold. And it's been a series of unfoldings of joyful things. And so what I do when, I, when I'm hosting my show or when I've, when I've done uh, any of the stuff that I've done when I'm in the zone of writing or whatever, 
it's the feeling of joy. We're always looking for that feeling. And a lot of us need to go back to what we were doing when we were kids, what we loved doing when we were kids, because that's when we were a sort of purest self with no kind of interference from society, parents, culture, religion. And what were you doing when you were a kid? Yeah, often tells you, you know, the direction to go in. That's lovely. So what were you doing as a kid that connects you to your zone of genius that you've arrived at right now? I was always a, a, a little performer and and somebody who liked to talk. My mom will tell the story of when I was first born. She couldn't get me to shut up. I was noisy and chatty and and she almost loved, she almost wanted to take me back to the hospital because I just did not stop day or night, day or night. And one memory I have of my mother tucking me into bed, she said, what do you want to be? This is, as a gay man, this is going to be funny. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be an actress. <laughs> and she said, no, boys are actors. <laughs> but I want, I was always that kid who, who liked to fantasy world and liked to be creative. I wasn't a kid into sports or anything like that. I was always, so it made t- total sense to go in that direction when I was reinventing myself, because those were the things that I always loved. That's that, that's the, that was the truth of who I was. And I went in that direction and life has put in front of me opportunities that match that. They may not be the exact same thing as what you would call acting, but they have the same feeling as when I ha- had been acting. And that's the feeling of satisfaction and joy and expression of authentic self. When you're doing that, the, you know, we all, we all, have that authentic self. And and I think that's what comes into play when people are dissatisfied. They might be in that job that's just perfectly fine, but they're not expressing themselves. And I think we've come here to express ourselves to the fullest of, of, of our potential. Wow. That's lovely. I, I, I'm, you've got me thinking now. I'm going to think after we're done talking about what in my childhood kind of points at what I have discovered is, 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 is working in my zone of genius. Too that you know where I get that uh, reference is from an amazing book. Everyone that I've ever turned on to this book absolutely adores it. It's called The Big Leap. Oh, it's very popular. Amazon. I, you may have interviewed the author. He's no, I haven't. He's very well thought of. The Big Leap. It's got a fishbowl in the front, but he talks about zone of excellence versus zone of genius and how we get to where we are as as adults. Sometimes, very often, because of the stories we were told or the stories we've told ourselves since we were kids and, and you're taking me back to, and I think this is very helpful for lots of people is to think about what originally brought you joy. Yes. It, <laughs> and that thing that originally brought you joy may be frowned upon by other people. They, they may, it might be to bake cupcakes. You might've always been a little baker and that might be your, your, your big passion. And, and people will frown on that because they like you to be the way they know you to be. But uh, I believe in the pursuit of that because it served me really well. And I've been rewarded really handsomely in life for my pursuit and, and going after things that I wanted, despite what anyone else thought of them. It's about what, what it means to you, yes, not it, what it means to society or, or your friends. takes a bit of courage to do that. Courage is an interesting. Takes a bit of, um, and maybe some. Uh, the, the the people get. Tell me about that. Courage, courage. People get mixed up. People think that you have to have courage to go and do something like this, but you 
don't get the courage until you've already walked through the fire. Then you were courageous. When you're first starting out, you're fearful, you're daunted, you're unsure, but you're going to do it anyway. That's what you, that's what the courage is, is, is when you've done it, despite it. It's not having some sort of superior power where you don't feel fear or where you're, where you're undaunted. It's not, and so therefore you can walk through the fire. It's not this kind of thing. It's, I walk through the fire anyway. That's, that's when you can be called courageous. That is such a, that is such a precious notion. You know, I just have to tell a quick story about this because I, I explained to Sean, I'm, I'm actually a dentist for 30 years. And so I've lived deeply through people's lives because they see me more than they see their doctor. They see me every six months. I always find something to celebrate with people. And I have this great story that illustrates exactly what you're talking about, about your zone of genius. And maybe you really do have to go around the, the long way around the horn to get back to it. I remember I had this little kid in my practice who absolutely loved bugs. The kid at age six was just fascinated by bugs. When I one time asked him why he liked going to his best friend's house, and he said, because they have the best dead bugs in the windows, in the porch. <laughs> and so I started, to have, I didn't have children. I started having him come out to my house, and we have a field microscope, and we would spend hours climbing around in the field in front of my house looking at bugs in the field microscope. It was a great life. Well, his family wasn't like that. They, they were John Deere people. They loved basketball and baseball and hated bugs. And so long way around the horn, he became yes. a seed corn salesman. Yeah. And then in the end, at age 40, he had to go back to school and he became a science teacher. Right. Which is where he, his zone of genius was all along since he was six. So I really want people to think about the things that Sean's proposing here about how you wind up. Sometimes you do have to go around the long way around the horn. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like in my case, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm not university or college educated, but, but my eight years in finance did teach me business planning. It taught me uh, thick skin. It taught me how to be resourceful. I was not afraid to pick up the phone. So when I was beginning, I had a lot of skills that a lot of artistic people um, don't get to come to the table with. They, I lots of, I, I said I was sort of pursuing acting. I had no problem picking up the phone and trying to find an agent for myself. Whereas a lot of people who didn't have that. So it was kind of my, that was my university education. It taught me really well. And, and people who have been in a, a position who are listening to this now, where they've done something for the last 10, 20, 30 years, that's taught you things that will help you in the future. And that has also uh, brought to you, maybe it's, it's the lover you met, maybe it's the family you created that couldn't have happened without going through that. And so you can't, it's never too late and you can't have any regrets about um, the way you got there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But we got to stop here because I, I want to go, I want to dive deep into this. So I love this conversation so much and I can't wait to continue it, but let's take a small break to hear from our affiliate partners who make this podcast possible. Now here's a company doing truly great things in the world. Mighty Nest. Mighty Nest goes through and tests all the supposedly green products out there and has a website full of only the absolute best, the companies who are putting their money where their mouth is and making truly sustainable, high quality and safe products that actually work. 
Their Mighty Fix subscription box sends you new products each month so that you can take steps towards sustainability in your own home without the hassle on your end. They send products directly to you every month like reusable produce bags, stainless steel food storage containers, bees wrap, and more. So if you're thinking about going green at home, you can get rid of the headache of not knowing who to trust by just subscribing to The Mighty Fix. We are a Mighty Nest affiliate, which means that when you subscribe to The Mighty Fix, we get a small commission. So you can support the planet and ever-widening circles at the same time, all the while receiving incredibly researched, sustainable products for a great price. You can even use the code Mighty now to get your first box for just $3. Go to everwideningcircles.com backslash partners or use the link in the show notes to subscribe to The Mighty Fix. Okay, we're back. Okay, so Sean, let's talk a little bit more about something I've heard you you talk about when I was doing my research. You said that you that you're a happy guy. When when you're a happy guy and you go off that beat, you can tell it instantly. So tell us more about this happy guy thing because you know, that's what we're all we all think we're looking for is happiness or is that what we're actually looking for? I think so. I think that you came here to be joyful. You didn't come here to to necessarily suffer. I think that there's a choice again where you put your focus and I choose to put my focus on things that make me feel good. And so that's served me very well. And I don't know why anyone listening to this wouldn't want to pursue that themselves, especially when, when you can change your whole life, as we, we've spoken about, simply by being an appreciator more than you already are in your life. And I've found that for me to be the the best thing I've ever done for myself is to be someone who, for the most part, all day, every day, makes it his dominant intention that no matter who I'm with, what I'm doing, where I am, that I'm going to look for things that make me feel good and just appreciate them. And that doesn't have to be some big movement that you're doing. It could simply be sitting on the subway and noticing that that woman across the way from you has a stunning coat on and how much you love her coat. It could just be appreciating the speed and efficiency that the subway is getting you from A to B. Do you know what I mean? That the subway showed up, you didn't have to wait. It's just that kind of thing. Somebody opened the door for you because when you start to do that, again, you're vibrational in nature and you start to attract more of that. And so in the choice to be happy and in the doing of it that way, you end up having the kind of experiences in life that lead you to a place like I'm at now where I'm talking to you and you're very curious about all of this stuff because you instinctively know that that's the way we're supposed to be and want to know how to do it. And it's not, we, we, we bung it up. We make it way more complicated than it needs to be. I've, I've, I doesn't matter what my circumstances have been. I've talked about, you know, going broke and stuff like that. And, and, and life as somebody who's, who's working for himself as I do can, can have stressors in it that other people don't necessarily know um, whether it's financially financial stress or whatever, but no matter what's been going on in my experience, good or bad, I've been happy 
And I, I can look back at my life that way and, 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 and know that. And it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank because I've been very happy and had lots of money in the bank. And I've been very unhappy. Uh, I've had no money in the bank and been happy. And if you're looking for that money, no amount of money, if you're depressed, if you're depressed, no amount of money is going to fix that. If you feel miserable, you can have all the money in the bank that you want. It's not going to fix that. And I've been in all those situations and always felt a measure of happiness about life and staying present and living for the day or this now moment is mm. is where it's at. It's not about this kind of weird pursuit of things and experiences and people to make you happy. Do you have any tips on, like, I'm, I'm sure you fall off the balance beam from time to time. Of course. Um, you tell me, uh, do you have any tips on how you get yourself back up there or how you remind yourself, or how you pay attention to what you're paying attention to? Like, you told me a great story before we started recording about how sick you'd been over the holidays. And you, yeah. you phrased it very interestingly. You didn't say that life did this to me. You said, oh, you know, I had to really process that life did this for me. Uh, tell us about that whole way of thinking. Yeah, and then and then thanks for offering up the opportunity to to point out that that crap happens. It's just how you handle it that makes the difference. So I'm not saying that I live a life with without problems or without drama. And and as we were talking about before we started recording, at Christmas time I got quite sick, and I'd been sick for about several weeks before before this incident went down. And and I thought I had COVID. I was exhausted all the time and I was having breathing problems and I went and got tested and, and it came back negative. But my doctor was saying, well, maybe you did have COVID and don't anymore, but this is the tale of it. So keep in bed and, and do what you're doing. And I got more and more progressively sick. I couldn't walk three feet without having these breathing attacks where I was, it sounded like I had run a race. And what I hadn't told my doctor was that my leg was also very sore. I hadn't associated that with anything. And when he heard breathing and sore leg, he said, I think you have a blood clot and you need to get to the hospital now. And so a whole day unfolded of myriad tests and I was very, very sick. And the, the, the doctors were like, what wanted to know my last wishes. And I was put in ICU and it was an interesting experience from the point of view of what we're talking about, because at no point did I have buy-in to the degree of seriousness that this that this unfolding was. I was I could have died, and they were talking about that with me, and I just it wasn't denial. It was a knowing that this wasn't going to be. Uh, my time that I would be released and see my dog. But what was interesting coming out of that is that the doctor came to me. The hospitals are full. I, when I when I spent that first day in the hospital, I was in a, on a bed in a hallway, and the doc, and that's where I was being treated and examined and picked up. And the doctor came down to me and she said, "I'm going to put you in ICU." But this is the fu the funny thing for me is that looking at your test, you're you're super sick, but. You're uplifting, you're quippy, you got energy, you look like a peach. And that was the impression that she had been left with only because, I guess, in my way of dealing, I had chosen to be 
positive about the situation. And so that positivity led me to the knowing that I wasn't going to succumb to anything. And it, and, and it made an impact enough on the doctor that she thought it was kind of funny to be putting me in ICU because I didn't look or sound as sick as I really was. And that's just the power of a focus. And for me, I wasn't even a decision. It just is, you know, you, you get to sort of grow into be, be someone who handles things a certain way. And, and just through the simple handling of that with, I don't know, positivity, I think that's too light a word, but those were the, that was the way it unfolded for me. Interesting. Yeah. So you didn't have a, you didn't have a victim mentality at all. Sounds like no. not from even more. No, and, and coming out of the experience, as we were talking about off the air, and, and you've mentioned now, I, I don't ever believe that when you get sick, especially with something serious, that it's just an illness. Like, life is all, your life is always speaking to you. And so, I feel like this happened for me, not to me, and have been aware of changes of feeling that I've been having since uh, that experience, feeling calmer and more peaceful and just with a, uh, a highly reduced need to be striving and chasing and running and, and, and controlling and hustling. I want to be someone who is in the moment and focused in that moment as we are now. And, and know this is the only thing that's going on right now. There's no distractions. There's no past or future. And, and with the understanding that you live bogusly, when you're not in the moment. And this experience has brought me into a really peaceful place. And I feel like it's sort of second half of, of a life. And I feel really grateful that looking at it this way, I can see the many blessings in it. And I, and then of course, when something like this happens to you, you almost have no choice but to look at your life a bit when stuff gets really serious. And going back to what I was saying a little earlier, even though I was lying there sick, I hadn't. I thought if I do die, <laughs> if I do die, I have no regrets. I, I, the only regret I was going to have was that I wasn't going to be able to see my dog again. <laughs> um, when I was lying there, I was like, okay, what are we doing about seeing Ella? Um, but I didn't have, I hadn't, and maybe that led to the the just sort of overall overreaching feeling that this wasn't my time was just that that inner knowing. Okay, so I want you to go a little sideways on something you just said. You know, we're beating all around the bush on a lot of the things we're talking about right now that relate to our mental chatter. There's a there's an yes. amazing thought leader that I've spent a lot of time chatting with. He's been on this podcast, Suikamar Rao, Dr. Rao, R-A-O. He's, a, he's just an extraordinary person who's studied all the great wisdom people of the world, taking the religion out and kept, kept the wisdom. Mm -hmm. And he has amazing uh, riff that he does about our mental chatter and the mental models. So I, I bet you, you, you've just have a certain kind of rhythm to the, to the, what, what you'll entertain in your own mind's chatter and what you won't. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, when you are entertaining chatter in your mind, that doesn't serve you by the way you feel our emotions are like a GPS that never steer us wrong. And when you're feeling off, when you're feeling negative energy, when you're feeling less than, you are thinking thoughts that don't serve you. You're thinking thoughts that the real you is, is, is having nothing to do with. 
And so when you steer yourself back, that's your GPS telling you to, to go left, go left. You, when you go left and start thinking the thoughts that serve you, you start to feel a positive vibe. And that's when you know that you're really being who you truly are. And, and, and that served me well in business dealings. That served me well when things aren't going my way. That served me well when people are being buggers and not cooperating to pay attention to the way I feel and realize the thoughts I'm thinking about that person or the circumstance or myself or whatever's going down are bogus to who I really am. And how does the real me think about this? And that's um, something that becomes can become quite automatic. I, I, I might explain it in a long-winded way, but you feel it. It's not, it's, it's negative. Uh, how do I get my, what's, what's a feeling of, what can I think now about this subject that will give me a feeling of relief to the feelings that I'm feeling now? Absolutely. Oh gosh, we've just got to listen to that mental chatter and just stop it and, and oh, follow a more joyful it. dialogue. That's just what we've got to do. I, I talk to people a lot in my work about the power of the pause. You've interviewed me on your show about the four shifts that I'm recommending people do to take control of their online lives. But boy, the first shift is to pause for just a millisecond before you follow your emotions over a cliff and, and click on that outrageously negative posting. Well, gosh, how about if we just did that in our own lives? <laughs> we just paused for a millisecond. Yes. Yeah. So I cannot let this interview go a minute longer without asking you about this little story. I was listening. There's a great interview. If you want to get some some of the richness that Sean's life has uh, uh, allowed him to enjoy in the way of insight, there's a great interview called The Greatest Connection We Can Ever Make. It's from a recording on June 23rd, 2020 where you kicked off the Unstoppable Speaker Series at, a, at the Canadian L LGBT Chamber of Commerce Global Digital Summit. That's a lot for people to remember, but it'll be down in the show notes. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> it's, a, it's a marvelous interview. And it, there's a wonderful story in there where you talk about being in a, I think it was a Home Depot, and you bought this little plaque that said, what would you attempt to do if you could not fail? Talk to us about that mentality. Well, I bought that, uh, you know, when, when I was deciding to leave finance, it was a gradual decision. And but life is always your life is always talking to you, as I said. So life was speaking to me at that time quite loudly. And I, I was at a wedding and I was signing a guest book and a woman behind me saw my penmanship, which is kind of like hier hieroglyphics, but she liked it. And she grabbed me by the arm and she's very passionate and she's like what are you doing with your life you're very creative why are you being creative with your life she was like almost this, this sort of psychic she just looking at my handwriting she and she was aghast that i wasn't being creative in my life and that's what i was thinking about doing and so life was handing me these really weird things and i was just in a store around the corner from my house and I saw this metal bar that you described and written in the bar is, are the words, and I still have it, it's in my bathroom, uh, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? And there was another, that was to me was another sign of life saying, what are you going to do? You're not going to fail. You're going to be fine with, with what you do. And so that's, that was part of the speak that you're referring to with the greatest relationship that you can have the answer to that is 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 the one between you and you 
And so when you're doing something like taking a, a chance, taking a risk, uh, believing in yourself, you are practicing great self-love because to believe in yourself and to go after a dream or a goal is to go after your joy. And that's when you are really lined up with who you are. And that's what we're all here to do. And, and the disconnect that people have from themselves, I think, is great these days. And we have a lot of powerful disconnectors like social media that claim to be connectors, but really keep us apart and texting and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that's part of the speak that I gave, because I think until you're at one with yourself, life doesn't get fun as fun as it could be, right. as rewarding and as rich as it could be. Yeah. And people think that's selfish. No, I wouldn't. But I, I call it self-full. Oh, <laughs> oh, this is good. This is good. <laughs> yeah, let's remember that because there is that. I, I'm talking a, a lot to people about doing things for the greater good these days. And I think there is a lot of misconceptions around selfishness. Yes. Because your obligation to the universe is to bring to life, to the world around you, what you were meant to do. So if you're following your passion... I don't think you can do that until you're happy That's and right. passionate. Right, right. So being self-full is way different than being selfish. Because if you're looking out for the greater good, it's really <laughs> your obligation to bring your best stuff. When you are on a plane, remember those days, um, when before takeoff, they tell you to put your mask on first before you put it on your, your kids. You have to, you have to serve yourself first. You're no good to anybody if you're running on empty, if you haven't filled your cup up. And so people will call it the pursuit of selfishness when you go after things that make you happy. But when you are operating from that place, you're operating at your best self. You know what to say to people. You're an uplifter. You're a teacher. People are attracted to you. And that's when you're of service, when you just try and be of service and you don't have any of that kind of backup and you're not full, then what you're, you're, you're a million times more powerful when you're, when you're in the zone than when you're not. Oh, that's lovely. You know, I think there is a rhythm to that. At least I've known it in my life. Through, especially, oh no, it's through my professional life and through this chapter of the last seven years with the ever widening circles. I've just found that whenever I'm doing what I feel like I'm meant to do, everything that came before was preparing me for this moment, Sean. And that was all the mistakes I made and all the bad things that happened to me and everything else. You know, you, you told a great story about chatting with Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, and a little, a little nugget of insight that I found very interesting about the take one step forward. Do you remember that? That, that, that when she said that, that changed my life. And that's, that was the impetus. That was the final straw that broke the camel's back of me staying in finance or not. I was in a hotel room in um, Nova Scotia. I had flown there to see some clients when I was in finance and they had bailed on me at the last minute for some emergency that they had. And so I was back at the hotel room and, and that was back in the day where if you, we didn't have PBRs or whatever. If you wanted to, you either watch television or you stuck a big cassette into some recorder. And so therefore working kind of nine to five, I never saw the Oprah Winfrey show. I knew who she was, of course, and everybody knew Oprah, but I never watched it. But on this day, I turned it on and she had on Yana Van Zandt. 
and they were parading around the set like two spiritual peacocks. And I was just getting undressed. And uh, very much a lot of the real estate in my mind was about leaving finance and, and, and setting out on my own and doing my own thing. And Oprah turned to the camera and she looked right into it. And so therefore, as I'm looking at the television, she was talking to me. And she said, when you take one step towards the universe, the universe takes nine towards you. And because it was her and because she had achieved so much and because she was credible, I really heard that louder than I'd heard anything. It was an encouragement and it was a truth that I knew right in that red hot minute was correct. And so I threw off my clothes and I went down to the hotel gift shop and I bought a pad of paper and markers and pencil crayons and stuff. And I came up and I sat on the bed of the hotel and with great audacity wrote down, doodled everything I thought I could be. And I had every word, every feeling. I had actor, I had writer, I had whatever. And on the bottom right-hand corner, I drew this stick figure of myself with a big crap-eating grin. And I had a microphone in my hand. And on the microphone, I wrote The Sean Prue Show. And so that's the title of my my show that I have had now for eight seasons on SiriusXM. And, and I've had another show of the same name on uh, other radio stations. But the best part of this story is not just that it came true, was that uh, I guess it's been about three or four years now, I had Oprah on my show. And I had pursued getting Oprah on my show, which took 10 years, uh, because I wanted to say thank you to her for that nugget that she gave me because it changed my life and to be able to do that on the Sean Proust show which I wrote down on this pad of paper because she said I could do it uh, it was it was a really great moment and just to what we've been talking about that's what happens when you pursue your passion is is life hands you experiences that have such deep personal meaning to you may not to anybody else but you you get to have a life where stuff happens for you where it's almost like the universe is patting you on the back and saying you're doing good you're doing the right thing by pursuing your joy and so to have that experience a lineup for me and thank oprah and then have a, a, a conversation with her about the power of a first step is something that that's um, a great professional achievement that I, I appreciate having, but it's also deeply personal. And that's, that's my story of the hotel room and Oprah's nugget. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> that's a great place to start <laughs> winding down at, because I, I, I'm sure you want, at least I would, the takeaway message for me on that is that you're an ordinary person. This you have, yeah. yeah and, and this worked out for you because you you made a lot of sacrifices, a lot of hard decisions. You took some risk and all that stuff. But this is the same thing that's available to all of us, right? Yes. No. There's nothing special about me. And one of the reasons I, I like to talk about this, these topics is that I want people to because I don't think people think that they can necessarily go out and pursue things that they that their 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 fondest desires and there's nothing special about me i when i first arrived in the city i was a 20 something year old with very little self esteem my dad had just died i was gay at a, in a time when it was not that great to be gay 
and uh, and I didn't think highly of myself. And so, and I'm a high, I was a high school dropout with no formal education, no plan, no money. Like I just was had many strikes going against me, and po- possibly a, a recipe for disaster. But so I, I put that out there because I just believe if I can do it and find a measure of joyful satisfaction that people are attracted to, to knowing more about, anyone can do it. Anyone okay. can do it. So that's exactly what I want to, uh, the thought I want to leave people with. And then we're just going to have to consider chat number two, because we didn't get to any of the questions I was supposed to ask. You. <laughs> and that happens almost all the time to me. I love the fact that we just had a real conversation, Sean. I thank you so much for this. Tell us, You're so tell welcome. us one more time, um, where can people find you? Tell us exactly where you want people to get connected. You can go to seanpru.com is a great place to start. There's a newsletter sign up that you can sign up for that uh, will keep you apprised of whatever's going on and things that I, I don't send. I don't spam everybody and send something every single day. I just do it when I think I've got something worthy to say. And my show airs on Sirius XM. It's heard across North America about five times a weekend on channel 167. Okay, great. Great. Well, I just got a, a letter the other day from somebody who heard me on your show and it, they were so kind. And oh, good. Yeah. I, I, I know that people are out there taking great joy and comfort in, in listening to, to what you're up to. So stay with it. You're part of the conspiracy of goodness that I'm always talking about, Sean. <laughs> You're a charter member, Thank I'm sure. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay. I appreciate it. Uh, okay. So for more information about Sean's work or any of the subjects that we talked about, any of the things we mentioned, check out the show notes for links. We have an amazing editor, producers for these interviews, a team at Streamline Podcast that do an extraordinary job with writing down all the pearls. So you can find those in the show notes. And special thanks to our affiliate partners who make this podcast happen. You can check them out in the show notes as well. And when you order from them, we get a, a, a little little something to help support this this project. And as always, drive into ever-widening circles. You can do that by visiting it at us at ewc.co. Ever-widening circles was just too much for people to remember, so we've shortened it to ewc.co. And the best way to open a new era for yourself is something new. I want you to take 12 minutes to experience a few aha moments in a recently released TED Talk that I just did called Exposing the Conspiracy of Goodness. So if you want to put John and I just talked about in, in a neat light, the things that you're doing in your life that are that are good, kinder than, than you need to be, Exposing the Conspiracy of Goodness is a, is a TED Talk I just released that's really making people feel very, very good about the possibilities of the future. I'm doing a lot of public speaking lately now for businesses and organizations whose work is deeply represented in the conspiracy of goodness. So you can find out more about my public speaking at dr-linda.com. That's dr-linda with a Y, dr-lynda.com. Okay, well, listen, Sean, (laughs) you've made my day. My face almost hurts a little bit from smiling so much today. (laughs) I'm so glad. It is. It feels like my muscles in my face are just altered. <laughs> As always, I hope all the connections to goodness and progress that Sean and I have shared with you today will carry you through your week and you start finding all the joy and wonder we've been talking about. Thank you. <laughs>